Let's go to First John chapter 3, verse 4. There's a section from verses 4 to 10, preventing the practice of sin. The practice of sin. That's key to this passage. I'll be looking at this verse, verse 4 tonight. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Quite a bit in here. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful exhortation on sin and righteousness. The believer and his relation to both. And Lord, as we look at this and the thought of the Lord that comes into bringing us to Christ as a schoolmaster, Lord, bless our hearts tonight and that we might not sin. There is the possibility of it, but it should not be a practice. Bless as we think on these thoughts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Preventing the practice of sin. So, John in this portion, though it doesn't say Antichrist, is referring back the believers back to it. In verse 7 of chapter 3, we just read, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, the Lord, is righteous. And so... <clears throat> Deceive you, deceive. Back in verse 26 of chapter 2, it says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Deceive, seduce are the same Greek words, and we need to be careful that nobody seduces or deceives us. It is the spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist false teachers were saying that knowledge was superior to moral virtue. That knowledge was superior to moral virtue. In other words, intellectualism, knowledge, a head knowledge, and not a heart change. They were saying these false teachers is, is uh, superior. What does God want? <laughs> he wants our hearts to change, doesn't he? And uh, as we read the word of God with our mind and the spirit controls that, we will understand more how we should live a godly character. And um, these false teachers teaching that, these antichrists teaching that, causes their followers not to practice godly living, not to live morally. This is why some churches, they can say, they can intellectually give assent to what the Bible says, but they go out and practice, well, live like the devil, we say. And then next week you can come and get it all 
matched over again. <laughs> yeah, I was just talking to Brother Derek about that. And, uh, you know, you can go and say, yep, and, and, and do the confessional thing. It's not true. You can't, you can't live like that. It's not an inter intellectual thing. It's a practical living change of the heart that God wants. Um, <clears throat> they, these false teachers, these antichrists, make people twofold more the child of hell, as Jesus said, than they themselves are. They're educated heathens. Even if they're educated in Bible manners. You see, an unsaved person can understand with his head what the Bible says. And, you know, I've, I've talked to unsaved people, and you, you say doctrinal things, you talk about verses, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. But it doesn't sink down to the heart and change the life. It doesn't convert them. Recognise the rebelliousness of sin. We need to, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth. So comparing, again, verse 7 and verse 29 of the previous chapter. In the verse 29 of chapter 2, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. In verse 7 of chapter 3, where we're going to not get to tonight, but mention, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. So John is returning to what he was talking about, and he, he talked about this righteousness that we should have, have as Christians, this moral character, the character of God, opposed to what Antichrist and his teachers are teaching. Then he went off and talked about the second coming of the Lord for the purpose of saying that every man that hath this hope in him, in the Lord, purifieth himself even as he is pure. And so <clears throat> we have to recognise the rebelliousness of sin. Christ is righteous, we are rebels. <laughs> We're born rebels. Um, <clears throat> and we need to practise righteousness. Righteous nature of Christ and righteous practices of Christ. And the, those two verses, 2.29.3.7, speak of that righteousness. The mention of Christ's purity, back there in 3 verse 3 I've just referred to, and the necessity for believers to live purified lives prompted John to define what impurity is. He is pure, the Lord is pure, we need to be pure. But what is sin? <laughs> what is sin? And so we have this in verse 4, the description of the practice of sin. The words used there, committeth and transgresseth, in verse 4, are from the same Greek word, to do, to make, or to practice. Yeah, and there is a difference. We need to make sure we know, understand that. Whosoever committeth, sin transgresseth. It's the practice of it, reflecting that sin is a definite action. It's in the present tense, this committeth and transgress. What difference does that make? <laughs> if one is continually practicing, continually committing and transgressing in sin, this is not what a Christian should do. This is sin. This is an unsafe person's manner of living. Committeth and transgresseth. So from the same word, it's to do or to practice. And it's a definite action. In the present tense, stressing continuous action. The habitual practice of sin. 
Now, everyone who continually practices sin practices lawlessness that he speaks of here, the transgression of the law. And we, as Christians, should not be doing it that way. Back in chapter 2 and verse 1 there, it refers to sin of a Christian. And if we sin, we have an advocate. That is not in the present tense as we have this one here. It refers to a single specific act. And uh, these happen in our lives. And if we say we don't sin, we call God a liar. And so if we do that, we have an advocate, as it says in verse 2 of chapter 2, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our high priest. And we confess our sins, as John, 1 John 1, 9 says to. But 3 and verse 4 that we're looking at here describes a life of sin, a life centred around self and around, not around God. And this is what it means to habitually practise sin. So the description of the practice, continual practice of sin. The definition of the principle of sin is given in this verse, for sin is the transgression of the law. And sin is lawlessness. And an example of this is over in the Old Testament, speaking of Saul, when he come back, having won the battle, he brought the sheep and the ox and all the other things with him. Verse, and Samuel said to him in verse 22 of chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion, lawlessness, sin is, the, is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. That's pretty serious, isn't it? <laughs> the sin of idolatry, iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he hath rejected you from being king and let's not be looked on by God as one that has an intellectual understanding of the truth of God and not a heart change of the truth of, by the truth of God and we practice sin saying well the grace of God is being exercised in my life by him forgiving me um, <clears throat> lawlessness is, and sin is rebellion Insubordination, just like Saul there, to the Lord. And this may involve an act we do regularly or an attitude we have consistently. And if we have that, we have to start asking ourselves, am I truly a Christian? Examine yourself whether you're in the faith. If, if you're habitually doing it, and this is the way of life, continually doing this same act, and often it'll be that. It'll, it'll be a particular sin that is in our lives that uh, we continually, we, either as a Christian we haven't got victory over it or we're just not saved. You need to take a good look. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 to 25. Galatians 3.19 says this, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because the transgre of transgressions that we're speaking of in verse 4. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one but God is one. The seed, the Lord, is going to come at that time. 
He did. He had come and he has come. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. You know, by keeping of law, we're not going to get to heaven. By an intellectual ascent, we're not going to get to heaven. Um, <clears throat> it was there for a purpose. And we read on and find out why. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And have we believed with our head, our heart and our whole being? <laughs> Who cried out, help my unbelief? I can't remember, it just come to mind. As, but the, it, yes, help our unbelief. But, yeah, it's there somewhere. <laughs> Mm. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which would afterwards be revealed. People that teach you can work your way to heaven or any works will add to your uh, eternal security. No, no, no. <laughs> it's by faith. The law was had a purpose. And as it says in verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And that's why it's good for parents to teach the children to obey the law of the home. Because when God comes knocking at their heart's door, they're ready to obey the law of God. And, and the law comes down you know, like a, a heavy hammer on them and I have sinned, I can see that I've sinned and I need, I need something to, to someone to save me. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... For this reason, the practice of sin is incompatible with the spiritual identity. The continual practice of sin is incompatible with the spiritual identity of one who is born of God. It, it doesn't happen continually. Now, it, ha it happens now and then, but not continually. So we see the description of the practice of sin, the definition of the principle of sin, its lawlessness, its rebellion, its insubordination, and the denunciation of the perpetuation of sin. Verse 4 implies the condemnation of the practice of sin, and through Scripture it is explicitly denounced. Now, <clears throat> if we as a so-called Christian can say, easy come, easy go, she'll be right, mate, Sweep it under the carpet. It's not that bad. I can do the little sins. <laughs> we were talking about that before, weren't we? And um, <clears throat> there was a parent talking to their child and you, we are going to see a movie. And the, and the parent, parent said, you sure? Isn't there some bad things in it? Oh, only a couple. That's what you said. <laughs> I've heard it before. Um, well, let's go and have a, was it a cake, bake a cake or something. You go get the rat sack, well, the poison, <laughs> and I'll put the 99% of the other ingredients into the cake. But what's going to happen? <laughs> the kids, no, no, no. Well, that's the same with some things we look at, we see, we practice. Yeah, 1%, that's all, 1%, won't hurt you. Now the 99% is good, but 1% will hurt you. And we need to be aware of that. 
Denunciation of the perpetuation of sin. Don't continually go on and on practicing that. Look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 and following. (laughs) Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Wow, we got saved. We're set at liberty. Only... Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. To do what? To sin. To break the commands of God once you're a Christian. For an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In other words, do something that a blessing to others and pleasing to God instead of pleasing the flesh. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. If you love your neighbour, you'll do to them as they would have do to you. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That's what will happen. This I say then, and it leads to this, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. If you are continually, I are continually, habitually practising sin, we're walking in the flesh. Not in the spirit. And you, if you walk that way, you will fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, and he lists those, and he, works the, he lists the fruits of the spirit as well in verse 22. Peace, long-suffering, and things mentioned in verse 22. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If you're a Christian, I'm dead to that flesh, I'm dead to those things that the law condemns and I'm glad not to do them. I'm glad to please the Lord. The denunciation of the perpetuation of sin. We'll go there next week. The book of Romans. In the book of Romans, chapter 6 and 7, Paul deals with sin in those chapters there. And he deals with sin as an unsaved person. And he speaks there the law and the spiritual man, the law and the natural man, and the law and the carnal man. And just thinking of the carnal man. A carnal man is a Christian that's not acting like a Christian. He's sinning to the point of continually. <laughs> not just now and then. And... Um, <clears throat> I read of an illustration that's true that in Rome back in the day people that did atrocious things as murder and that not all of them but what they would do in Rome to get justice on the person that committed the crime or murder would tie the person that murdered to the murdered person who was dead tie them face to face, body to body, and then throw them out in the Mediterranean sun to die. I mean, one was dead, one was living. And I think this perfectly illustrates what I'm trying to say here about sin in the Christian's life. We no longer hold the old dead man and tie him to ourselves. For if we do, we will die we will be contaminated and it really is that we aren't saved. 
<clears throat> so as the corpse decays, it eats death into the living man. Can you imagine? But you just don't want to even go there and think about that happening. But that's what Christians who sin more than, well, more than they should. They shouldn't sin at all. <laughs> but, you know, for a break of the law, now and then it happens because we're tempted. And if we say we're not tempted to sin, we are in a world that's given to sin. We see things. And we, if you're like me, are tempted to think about that and look. There's a second look that's a sin, isn't it? Or we hear things and, oh, and the old flesh wants to tell me more. And, and, and it shouldn't be like that. <laughs> but we are tempted. But <clears throat> we become bound to the body of this death if we yield ourselves to sin and not yield ourselves to God. To God. And the book of Ephesians 4, 22 to 32 and Colossians 3, 5 to 10 speak about putting off and putting on. It speaks of mortifying. It speaks of making dead. These things, this is what we should be doing as Christians. Not practicing the law of sin. And so Paul sees the carnal believer thus bound to the old nature and thus truly a wretched man. Put the flesh to death. How? In the verses in Galatians 5, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, all it says is by putting on Christ. Cleave to Christ, not to the old dead man. I died to you. I can't live anymore in that, in that manner. Put the flesh to death. Um, <clears throat> the purpose of the law, as we've seen in verse 25 of Galatians 3, is the law lays down and says, don't sin. <laughs> and, and it doesn't give the solution, but the Lord has given us the solution. Whosoever committeth habitually practicing sin is like holding that dead course, transgresses also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. Don't do it. Listen to the Lord and do what he wants in your life. Now remember, next time you're tempted to sin, like being tied to that dead body, gruesome but true, because it's, it's decaying, it's rotten, and it's, it's going to impart you to you death. And you find it, I find it, <laughs> When we sin as Christians, we find that we lose the desire to testify for the Lord. We lose the desire to read the word and to pray, to fellowship. We feel dirty. So we should as Christians. But if we're not a Christian, we can do those things and it doesn't affect us. We can cleave. We're just the old man. We're dead in trespasses and sin. Are there some thoughts?